If you'll turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 4, we'll try to pick up there tonight. I told Jonathan when I got here this afternoon, I said, I've got two problems in this passage of Scripture. One of them is what happens when God gets angry. That's a big problem, you know, big question. Another, and I don't know that we'll get to it tonight, is uh, the passage of Scripture where God almost killed Moses. Uh, I've tried to find some good commentaries on it, and some of them just skip over that. And that tells me they don't know any more about it than I do. <laughs> but uh, it, it is uh, a couple of questionable things here that's found in in this chapter, uh, going back to last week, God had come through all of Moses' different complaints, about four different ones. And in verse 12, he says, Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach, them what thou shalt, or teach thee what thou shalt say. Moses had made the excuse I don't speak plainly. Perhaps he had an impediment in his speech, I don't know, but he's using it as an excuse. And God told him that he'd be with his mouth. And God asked him, who made your mouth? But verse 13, Moses said, O my Lord, send I pray thee by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. Moses just didn't want to go. He didn't want to be the one to lead the children of Israel out of bondage and into the promised land. He thought God had somebody else better equipped to do it than him. You remember, Moses had a past. He was born into a Jewish family, but was raised in royalty in the king's household. He killed a man because the man was mistreating a Hebrew. He thought he'd gotten away with it because he buried him in the sand, but the next day he found out that somebody else knew about it. Evidently there was a, a bounty put on his life because he began to run. He went down into Midian met a woman there, he married her, and he's had two sons. So I guess he was looking at all those things and saying, God, you can't use me. I've disqualified myself. But notice what happens in verse 14. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Most of the time when you read the Bible and you find someone exhibiting anger, it's usually not a good thing. Anger is one of our God-given emotions. 
And the Bible tells us to be angry and sin not. And Jonathan and I discussed today about God being angry. He got angry because of the disobedience of Moses. I began to run some references and to see some things about anger in the Bible. The first one I found was in Genesis chapter 49, where Jacob is giving the blessings to his sons before he dies. And in verses 5 through 7, he comes to two of them, gives them the same blessings, Simeon and Levi. And as I read on, the Bible talks about that they slew a man in their anger. And then in another verse, God says their anger is fierce. Do you know which tribe Moses was out of? Levi. He was, he was uh, a descendant of Levi. This must have been a trait in that family that they got angry. Most of us have it in our life too, don't we? But here is God getting angry. The Bible says in Nehemiah 9, 17 that God is slow to anger. He can be made angry, but he's slow to anger. Sometimes we have a hair trigger anger, you know. If somebody say the wrong thing and bam, we're on them. He's slow to anger. In Psalms chapter 30 and verse 5, it says, For his anger endureth but a moment. When God gets angry, he gets over it pretty quick. We can talk about other things here. Psalms 11, or 711 says, God is angry with the wicked all day long. God is always angry at wickedness. There is such a thing as righteous indignation righteous anger. There are times when we as God's people need to be angry, perhaps more at situations than at people. But here God was angry with Moses. And then he seems to get over it real quick. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? You tell me you can't talk. I've told you I can fix your mouth. Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? Now Aaron is the older brother of Moses. God says, I know that he can speak well. Of course, God knew that Moses could speak well too. God can fix it. 
I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. When he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. Now God had already spoken to Aaron. Aaron is in Egypt. Moses is down on Mount Sinai in the Arabian desert. God knows that Aaron is on his way. He had done giving him orders. Verse 15, he said, And thou shalt speak unto him, and put words in his mouth, and I will be with thy mouth, and with his mouth, and will teach you what you shall do. There's not a thing in our lives that God can't overcome. Many times we allow things to stop us from serving God. Somebody may not like the way we serve God. They may not like our personality. They may not like what we have to say. But that's allowing people to dictate your life rather than following what God wants you to do. I remember a man who stood in my office at one of the churches that I have pastored. He was angry at me. And I let him spill out his anger. And I've never forgotten what he did. He stood in front of the window and he turned his back to me and just stood there and looked out the window for a long time. And he turned around and said to me, you know, God called me to preach 50 years ago and I've never done it. And I said, well, brother, the only advice I can give you is this. If God has called you to preach, you need to get at it. But he never did as far as I know. I don't think he was so much angry at me as he was angry at God. And I think he was taking his anger at God out on me. But that's all right. We... We remained friends until he died. But I, I've often wondered about that, what, what his life could have been if instead of stubbing up and refusing to serve God, to have done what God wanted him to do. And I wonder how many more people are that way in our churches that that God has somehow, some way spoken and given them a ministry of some kind. And they rule themselves out thinking God can't use me. But God can use you. He can use me. He can use whoever He wishes to. Now Moses, Aaron's going to come. I want you to speak to him you put words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what you shall do. I can see this 
calling that God had put on Moses' life was a tremendous calling to go before the king of the most powerful nation in the world and say, let my people go. That wouldn't be a pleasant task for anybody. Verse 16, it says, He, speaking of Aaron, shall be thy spokesman unto the people. And he shall be even, he shall be to thee instead of a mouth. And thou shall be to him instead of God. He's going to be your mouthpiece. But to him, you're going to be God. Now, in the Hebrew lineage, the elder ruled over the younger in most cases. Moses is the younger. And here he's going to be over his brother Aaron. God reversed his ad in some cases. He did with Jacob and Esau. Verse 17, Thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. That shepherd's crook, that rod that God had asked Moses, what's that in your hand? He said, a rod. God said, throw it down on the ground. It became a snake. God said, take it by the tail. He took it by the tail and it turned back into a rod in his hand. That's the rod that God is talking about. Later on in this chapter, it will be called the rod of God. Not of Moses, but the rod of God. You're going to do signs. You're going to do miracles with this rod. I've wondered sometimes if the rod didn't become a miniature God in some places. We'll talk about that when we get to him. Now, Moses had taken the Jethro sheep back on the back side of the desert, down around Mount Sinai. He hadn't said anything to God about having to go back and talk to Jethro, his father-in-law. But he needed to take those sheep back and he needed to have a talk with his father-in-law. His father-in-law was the, pri the priest of Midian. He would have the final say. Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said unto him, let me go, I pray thee, and return unto my brethren which are in Egypt, and see whether they be yet alive. And Jethro said unto Moses, Go in peace. Moses didn't tell the whole story. He just said he wanted to go back home and see how his folks were doing. He didn't say, God wants me to lead them out of bondage and lead them to another place. I don't know if he tried to hide that from Jethro, 
or if he was just uh, too timid to say what God was wanting him to do. But Jethro gives him permission to go. Go in peace, he says. And the Lord said unto Moses in Midian, Go, return into Egypt, for all the men are dead which sought thy life. Remember God had told him earlier that the king was dead that sought his life. Here it's all the men that sought his life have died. Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass, and he returned to the land of Egypt. Now notice what he takes with him. Moses took the rod of God in his hand. He took the rod of God. It's the same rod, but it's now become the rod of God. The Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return into Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand, and I will harden his heart that he shall not let the people go. God reiterates his assignment for Moses. When you go, when you return into Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh. Not just the three that we had experienced, but all of them that God wanted him to do. God says, you do that before Pharaoh, but I will harden his heart that he shall not let the people go. I think I shared with you last week there's several instances, I believe 10 of each, where Pharaoh hardens his heart in the same amount where it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. What makes for a hard heart? Stubbornness, disobedience. Yeah. The Bible gives us a, a, an encouragement in the place that says, harden not your heart. We need a soft, pliable heart. We need a heart that is obedient to God. A heart that is humbled before God instead of being stubborn. And what happens is the more we harden our heart, there's a point that God stop, steps in and God hardens the heart. God will present us, and he presented Pharaoh with opportunities to be obedient. But Pharaoh chose not to be. One, one or two times there he told the people they could go and then he'd turn around and change his mind say no. But we see the sovereignty of God here. But we also see the choice of man. And that's been something that theologians have cussed and discussed over the years. 
Somebody says, well, which one is it? It's both. It's both. God is sovereign, but he also gives man a choice. Verse 12, it says, Thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, listen to this statement, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. God counts the land and the nation of Israel as his firstborn son. The firstborn son had some privileges. He had the birthright. He had lots of other privileges that was given to the firstborn. And God said, I'll say to Pharaoh, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. But listen to the rest of the statement. And I will say unto thee, let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. The message is plain and clear to Pharaoh from God. You've kept my firstborn son in captivity for years and years and years. It's time to let my firstborn go. If you won't let my firstborn go, then I'll take your firstborn, your son. You'll see as we go through these plagues that come upon the nation of Egypt, the final one is the death of the firstborn. Not just in Pharaoh's house, but in every house that was not under the blood. So God keeps his promise. Next few verses are these verses that are sometimes skipped over in commentaries. <clears throat> so I wouldn't feel too bad if I skipped over it, but uh, I'm going to at least read it. <laughs> it came to pass, by the way, in the end. Now Moses and Zephora and the two sons, they had two sons. They began their journey into Egypt came to pass by the way in the end that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. One commentary that I read this afternoon said he met Moses' son and sought to kill him. But the ones that said anything at all about it said that he met Moses and sought to kill him. It'll bear out here in just a minute. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. What's the significance in this? 
If you'll look in Genesis chapter 17, we're going to find the significance of this. Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 through 14. You see, God had made a covenant with Abraham. That covenant said that his people would go into bondage. They would be there for many years, but God would deliver them. Verse 9, God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee and their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised. This is the mark of the covenant. You shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man-child in your generations, he that is born in the house or bought with money or of any stranger which is not of thy seed, he that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. The best that I can understand this, the two sons that were born to Moses and Zephora. I believe that the oldest one had been circumcised. The youngest one is probably maybe a baby. But he has not yet been circumcised. Moses neglects this. He hasn't carried out his duty as the head of his family. He's about to go on a mission for God so that God can fulfill that covenant that he had made with Abraham as they began their travels. God lets them go. looks like a day's journey. They stop at a place in King James, it calls it an inn. Other versions say uh, something else. But that's not the point. The Lord met him and sought to kill him. Most commentators said Moses got deathly sick. Perhaps he's laying there that night thinking, why has this happened? What have I failed to do or what did I do? Was it because I argued with God? Is it because I didn't go when he first told me? And a thought comes through his mind. You've got a son that has not been circumcised. But Moses is sick. 
One of the commentators said that it might have happened like this, that when the oldest son was circumcised at Zephorah, who was not a Jew, that she may have given Moses a hard time over that. It's certainly plain in this passage of Scripture she wasn't appreciative of it. That same commentator said that she had a decision to make. Either circumcise her son or lose her husband. That's his view. I, it's not necessarily what the scripture says. But verse 25, Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his, speaking of Moses' feet, and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. You're a bloody husband. So he, God, let him go. Then she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. The child should have been circumcised when he was eight days old. But we don't know how far or how long he went over that. But the importance is this. Moses was going on a mission for God. And Moses needed to have everything right between him and God. Moses needed to be ordering his family in a godly way. There's other people that write different things about Moses and Zipporah that said this was the thing that perhaps may have even torn their marriage apart because later on Moses sends Zipporah back to her dad. But that's not in our lesson tonight. Now look at verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. It dawned on me this afternoon when I read that, evidently the Israeli people, at least some of them, could leave the land of Egypt and come back because God told him to go and he went. He goes to the wilderness to meet Moses. Moses has been gone for 40 years years. may have been longer than that since Aaron has saw him. He went and met him whereat in the Mount of God. Mount Sinai. And he kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel, finally doing what God told him to do. Go gather all the elders of Israel. Aaron spake all the words. Now listen, this is Aaron speaking here. 
it's one of the few times you'll find Aaron actually speaking for Moses. I think Moses became a pretty, uh, pretty good speaker. Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses. But that's not all. And did the signs in the sight of the people. You remember what those three signs were? Take the rod, throw it on the ground, it becomes a what? Snake. He takes it back up, and it becomes his rod. What's the second one? Mm -hmm. Put his hand into his bosom, brought it out, and it was leprous. Put it back in there and brought it out, and it was clean. And then there's something to do with water. Anybody remember what that was? Take some water out of the Nile River. Pour it out on the ground and it becomes blood. These are the three signs that, that God had given. And notice what happens in verse 31. And the people believed. Hmm. Moses said, they won't believe. But God says, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshiped. All their lives they had heard God is going to deliver his people out of bondage. And they had waited and they had waited and they had waited. And now, finally, Aaron, they were very familiar with him. Moses had been gone a long time. But they see these signs that God had sent to them. They hear what God had said that he was going to do. And they're glad. They bowed their heads and worshiped. God was about to do a mighty thing in their midst. They're glad to hear the good news. But you know, we have some good news that we can announce to people today about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's wonderful to see people when they really come to realize that Jesus can and will deliver them from the bondage that they're in, the bondage of sin. And when he sets them free to see them worship God, what a wonderful, beautiful thing that is that is still happening today. Anyone with a question or a comment that you'd like to make? Well, I hope, hope that you were blessed in some way through God's Word tonight. It's not what I say, but what God says that's important.